Okay, so the next spiritual gift, a biggie, is the gift of prophecy. Now, there's a lot of debate and confusion over this one. Just like the gift of apostle, with a capital A, there is the office of prophet, with a capital P. Yep, there is the Old Testament office of prophet, which is limited to a handful of men. And then there is also the ongoing spiritual giftedness and ministry of prophecy that is under, nonetheless, the Old Testament gift of the prophet. So let me explain this to you. First, let me explain to you the Old Testament office of prophet. When we're talking Old Testament prophets, we're talking a twofold ministry. One, they hear from God. God reveals his truth to them, speaks to them, and then their second ministry is to communicate that to the masses. Some were speaking prophets, some were writing prophets, and some were both. And when we think of Old Testament prophets, we're thinking like Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. We're talking about the guys who gave us the Old Testament, and these are literally the spokesmen, the amplifiers, the mouthpieces, as it were, for God. And God wants to speak, and he speaks through them to the masses. And when they speak, they speak with the highest authority, because they speak for God. The phrase, thus says the Lord, appears in the Old Testament like 221 times in reference to an Old Testament prophet. God says, they were speaking for God and you were supposed to repent of sin and return to God. And that was the primary ministry of the prophet. They spoke and wrote for God. They were the mouthpieces of God on the earth and they gave us the Old Testament scriptures. Now that being said, I want to warn you that there are also false prophets and false apostles. Jesus, John, and Paul in the New Testament all say that false prophets always rise up in every generation. They lie and try to lead people astray. I want you to know that there are false prophets. I'll give you two examples. Mormonism was founded by one, a guy by the name of Joseph Smith says, I'm a prophet of God. We'll look at it in a moment, but he doesn't meet the qualifications of the prophet of God. What he says doesn't agree with the Bible. What he says doesn't point to the Jesus of the Bible. Islam is founded by the self-proclaimed prophet Muhammad. We don't believe that Muhammad was a prophet. We believe Muhammad was a false prophet because he doesn't agree with the rest of the Bible and he doesn't point to the Jesus of the Bible. Therefore, that's a false prophet. And so we are Christians, not Muslims, and there is a great difference because they believe that Muhammad is the last and greatest prophet, even superior to Jesus Christ. We don't believe anyone is superior to Jesus, especially a false prophet. And so how do you know whether or not someone is a real prophet or a false prophet? Because if you follow a false prophet, you'll join a false religion. 
you'll worship a false god and you can end up in hell for that. That's not false, that's real. I tell you this because I want you all to be discerning. Yep, another gift. And not end up in some cult or some weird religion. So, do you, so you've got to get your profits straight. So important is this gift. Two places in the Old Testament that are clearest on what constitutes a true versus a false prophet are Deuteronomy chapter 13, Deuteronomy chapter 18, both written by the great prophet Moses. In Deuteronomy 13, a couple of the things that he says is that a false prophet can do false miracles. So just because somebody has the power or can heal people or does signs, wonders, and miracles, that does not automatically assume that they are stamped with God's approval. Because we see, for example, in the days of Moses, that it was the Egyptian Pharaoh who had his magicians who were doing signs, wonders, and miracles falsely. It says in Thessalonians that Satan will do counterfeit signs, wonders, and miracles in an effort to even deceive the elect. So just because someone has signs, wonders, and miracles, supernatural power, that does not mean they automatically are stamped with God's approval. Secondly, they will point, Deuteronomy 13 says, to false gods. They're not going to point you to the Jesus of the Bible, and even if they use the name Jesus, they use it like in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It's another Jesus. So, in another gospel, it's another Holy Spirit. It's a whole other set of teachings, another gospel. Case in point, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints does not believe that Jesus Christ is eternal God who became a man. They believe that Jesus Christ is essentially the brother of Lucifer and a created man who is not eternal God. That's a different Jesus than what the Bible teaches. That's a false prophet. Muhammad does not believe that Jesus Christ is God. He doesn't believe that Jesus died on the cross, that Jesus rose from the, from the dead. That's a false prophet. It doesn't point to the Jesus of the Bible. Now what happened in the Old Testament, according to Deuteronomy 13, is if you were a false prophet who pointed away from the God of the Bible, what did they do to you? They killed you. That is what happens to false prophets. That's why in the old days, you don't get repeat offenders. You're like, I was a false prophet just once. That's all you get. Swing, miss, you're out. No three strikes. You're done. And see, this is where in our day, when you got these false prophets on TV, on the internet, predicting the end of the world, I'm a prophet. I got prophecy. It's like, if you think you're equal to the Bible, great. Then, if you make a mistake, let's follow the Old Testament guidelines for how to deal with a false prophet. That settles a lot of the you know, oops, I didn't, ah, I made a mistake. No, prophets don't make 
mistakes like that. When you read the Old Testament, there are hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that all come true in excruciatingly accurate detail, many of them surrounding the person and work of Jesus. Right? Born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem, as a little boy goes to the temple that was destroyed in 70 AD, no longer exists, rides into town on a donkey, betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver, hung on a cross, crucified between two thieves, and then rises from death. These are incredible prophecies. I mean, the Bible is incredibly accurate with the prophecies that it gives. And if you are a true prophet of God, in the biblical sense of the Old Testament, your requirement is to bat a thousand. Perfect. Which leads me to Deuteronomy 18. The qualification there for a real prophet is twofold. One, they are consistent with the prior revelation of the prophets, which is the Old Testament scriptures. Anybody who comes along and disagrees with the Bible, they're a false prophet. Secondly, they're always accurate, 100% of the time. And if not, again in Deuteronomy 18 and the Old Covenant, you could put them to death if they were not. So what we're saying is there are real prophets and then there are false prophets. Real prophets love Jesus. Real prophets repent of sin. Real prophets tell the truth. Real prophets aren't for hire, out to the highest bidder. Real prophets agree with scripture and real prophets bat a thousand. Those are some of the requirements that the Bible gives for real prophets. Well, what about false prophets? That's a whole nother story. That means even if you get a guy like Nostradamus, who had a few right, we seem to think. If he didn't bat a thousand, he's still a false prophet because true prophets bat a thousand. These are some of the ways we can distinguish between a true prophet and a false prophet. Another way we can distinguish as Christians is John 7, verse 17. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would live in Christians and he would give us discernment to know what was from God and what wasn't. And so part of what we have going for us is we have the inward testimony, witness of the Holy Spirit, saying, well, that agrees with the Bible and that honors Jesus. Or, hmm, that doesn't sound right. That can't be from God. So the Holy Spirit helps us to distinguish. So in conclusion, let me put these two together. Ephesians 2.20 says that the church is built on the cornerstone of the Lord Jesus Christ and the foundation of which is laid is the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles. Those are the people who give us the 66 books of the Christian canon we call the Bible. These are the people who either wrote, spoke, or were eyewitnesses to and gave the report of the books of the Bible. And so what he's saying is this in Ephesians 2.20. He's saying, Paul is, that the Old Testament and the New Testament come from the capital P, prophets, and the capital A, apostles. 
either they said it, they wrote it, they saw it, they confirmed it, they've testified to it, they've authenticated the truth, and therefore once we have that foundation laid, we don't have prophets and apostles in that same sense anymore. Today, there will not be a prophet that rises up and gives us a new book of the Bible to throw in at the end. We already have a foundation. The canon is closed. The Bible is established. It's now our highest authority. And we test everything by the Bible. It is the Supreme Court. Sola Scriptura. How does this work with prophecy? Well, what, the, what that means is that the New Testament gift of prophecy falls under the authority of the Old Testament prophets. Under the authority of the Bible. I'll give you two examples. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Meaning, somebody comes in and says, I have a prophecy. You go, oh man, another wingnut. Here they come, they got a word from God. Blah, 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 blah. You know, you've heard the end of the world is coming 27 times. I don't want to hear any more stuff. If you've been around... Christianity for a while, you might treat prophecies with contempt. And you shouldn't. You shouldn't. You need to be careful. Paul says, be careful. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. But here's what he does say. Test all things. Reject that which is evil, cling to that which is good. Meaning if somebody says they got a prophecy, test it. Now that's different than the Old Testament prophets because they were highest authority. God said, settles it. New Testament, the gift of prophecy is under the authority of the Old Testament prophets. And we check it, we test it by the Bible. Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I mean, the second half of the chapter. If somebody has a prophecy, they don't automatically get to go up in front of the church and get a mic and say, I prophesy the end of the world. I prophesy this, that, and the other thing. What they do is they meet with the leaders of the church, probably the pastors. They tell us what their prophecy is. We check it. If it's true, then we share it with you. If not, we don't. I've had a few people in my ministry try to tell me very clearly what God's will was on a certain matter. I haven't had any of them that I thought were biblical insofar as they needed to be told to the whole church. We don't just put a mic up and have like, you know, open mic, prophet night. 
everybody give it a shot, you know. And if it comes true, then you go to the next round. It's not like American Idol. It doesn't go like that. You get tested. You get checked. Because in the New Testament, the prophet isn't the highest authority. The pastors are. And if somebody says they have a prophetic word, pastors check that. They check it by the Bible because that is their highest authority. Pastors and leaders of the church are under the authority of the Bible and any potential prophetic word needs to be tested by the leaders. So what is prophecy then again? Like tongues, there are three expressions of prophecy that the New Testament speaks of. The first is foretelling the word of God. It is essentially preaching. Yep, it's what I do for a living. It's taking the word of God and proclaiming it as truth so that people would repent of sin and trust in Jesus. It's a preaching function. This is the broadest, most general, most generous use of the concept of prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14.4 says that prophecy edifies the church. If we do our job right, we teach the Bible well, then the whole church is built up. And our prophecy is not some new word from God, not some new book of the Bible. It's just taking the words of the Bible and explaining them so we have understanding. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 6 and 7 speak of a prophecy or a word of instruction. So it links prophecy or word of instruction as synonyms. Thereby, in this sense, the prophecy is teaching the Bible. It's the word of instruction, preaching and teaching. That's what we do. 1 Corinthians 14, 24 and 25, it says that preaching the Bible, prophesying the truth that is already in Scripture, will allow non-Christians to come in, learn about Jesus, recognize their sin, and get saved. That's not predicting the end of the world. That's teaching the Bible so that people would meet Jesus. So in the broadest sense, the most generous sense, prophesying today includes the ministry of preaching God's word as truth. The second use of the gift is where it gets a little more controversial. And that is not foretelling the word of God, but foretelling the future. And when I say prophesy, most of you probably think about telling the future. At the time of its writing, 25% of your Bible, roughly, was prophetic in nature, predicting some future event, many, many and most of them surrounding the person and work of Jesus Christ. I mean, he's the centerpiece of prophecy, and he is our prophet. He is the one who speaks for God. Now, when it comes to prophecy, there may be a time when God has a word for a church, and it's telling them about some future event that they need to be knowledgeable about. 
so they can prepare. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 6 speaks of revelation or knowledge or prophecy. It puts those things together. The prophecy is the revelation of some future knowledge that would otherwise be unknown. The reason that God could tell us the future is that God has perfect knowledge, of course, past, present, and future. He knows everything. Now, some, like open theism and process theology, that will tell you that God doesn't know the future. Well, that's curious because in Isaiah, he keeps saying, I'm not like any other God. I know the future. I know the beginning and I know the end. One of the things that God says makes him most clearly revealed as God is his knowledge of the future, which is why God has a lot of prophecy in the Bible to indicate to us that he is, he's in charge overall of human history. He knows everything, including the future. And since God knows the future, he can reveal the future to us if he so desires so we can prepare for it i'll give you an example of this from your bible there's a guy named agabus in acts chapter 11 verse 28 and 29 and he goes to the christians in that day and he tells them and it says he's a prophet he says i come with a message from god and god says there's a famine coming you know, does that mean like something that God's people would need to know? Yeah, in the Old Testament, the famine was prophesied. Remember the story of Joseph? Get ready. People are going to starve to death. Get ready to feed your family. Get ready to love your neighbors and to care for other people. So the prophet Agabus in Acts eleven twenty-eight and 29 is raised up by God. God speaks to him and says there's a famine coming. Go tell the Christians. He's a godly man. He loves Jesus. Good character. He's in agreement with scripture. He's doctrinally sound. He's tested and approved by the leaders in the church. And he steps up and says there's a famine coming. And you know what? He was right. History tells us there was a famine. You see, you don't elect yourself to be a prophet. If you have a prophet, you read the Old Testament. They end up getting killed and they cry a lot. So this isn't what you, you know, coach your kid to grow up and be. Hey, kid, you could be a prophet. They're like, well, I don't want to be that. I want to have the gift of serving. People like them. Sometimes it's not revelation of future knowledge to a group like this. Sometimes it's just to an individual. That's why a lot of prophecy shouldn't even happen in the church. It's personal, one-on-one -on -one word. Word of knowledge or wisdom or revelation. Some other traditions will call it but it's a personal word from God through someone with a gift of prophecy to an individual. Again, Agabus is a good illustration of this. The prophet in Acts 21, 10 and 11, God gives him a word on how Paul is going to die. So he goes to Paul and says, Paul, I know how you're going to die. And he tells him, 
here's how you're going to die. That's a personal word from God through the prophet Agabus Paul. So there you go, the gift of prophecy.